it's Liren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Nick Brown, a sixth-generation farmer of Rincon Farms, where his family has been farming in the coastal foothill mountains of Carpeturia, California, for over 35 years. Their Southern California location is prime for growing premium avocados, but they grow a wide variety of crops, including lemons, dragon fruit, and passion fruit, which I can personally say are some of the most delicious passion fruit I've tasted. I am so excited to welcome Nick to the podcast. Hi, Nick. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to meet you, but before we begin, I always start off by asking, what was the first thing that you ever cooked and about how old were you? That's a fantastic question. The first memory I have of baking, uh, my mom is of Italian heritage and uh, Mediterranean in general heritage, and she was always cooking. And my first, uh, my first memory was trying to make yogurt. For whatever reason, I don't know if we were out of yogurt that day or I just really wanted yogurt. So I set out, I must have been five years old or so, and I tried to make yogurt, not understanding that it, what it was or what it was made out of. And essentially I made biscuits because it was largely made with flour, uh, <laughs> water, and salt. And so I just made very wet uh, custardy, lumpy biscuits. And that was, that was my first baking memory. Oh my gosh. I could just imagine. Okay. Did you eat the quote unquote yogurt? (laughs) I probably did, but most of it was spread around the kitchen myself. Uh, maybe my older sisters, it, it was not a a welcome sight when my parents found out what I was up to. (laughs) I love that you were so inventive. That's so cute. (laughs) So could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and the farm? Absolutely, yeah. So my family has actually been in Carpinteria since 1871. Uh, We came across kind of with the Oregon Trail. Oh, yeah, you can maybe hear a chicken clucking. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's very strange. They decide to uh, cluck loudly once they lay an egg, so it, it lets me know where and uh, where they are and when they've laid an egg but it also (laughs) lets uh, my dogs know and the coyotes and so anyways Mm. uh, I'll deal with that later (laughs) Um, yeah so the family came over with part of the Oregon Trail and landed in Carpinteria in 1871 and uh, we I just got really lucky that my my ancestors had had good taste and and were fortunate enough to to get here early and uh, they started farming almost immediately. Um, one of my great great grandfather grandfather rather um, his sort of claim to fame was he patented this type of lima bean which. Oh grew exceptionally well here and I guess back in those days lima beans were a staple food commodity and now not so much. Uh, I think most people haven't even had a lima bean. But um, he developed this lima bean that grew really well in the sort of foggy coastal Carpinteria foothills and it ended up becoming the the lima bean that was grown worldwide. And so Carpentria for a, a couple decades was the lima bean capital of the world. Wow. And so that was kind of how the Henry Fish Seed Company was founded. And, and uh, so 
lima beans were our first foray into agriculture around here. And then uh, we started growing lemons, walnuts, eventually avocados became a thing that was grown up here, even though most people hadn't had them yet. Then avocados became extremely dominant in this area. Uh, and it was my dad and his uh, twin brother, actually, who grew up with a cherimoya tree in their backyard. And they thought, this is the best fruit we've ever had. How come no one else has had these? And, and you know, we need to get these out there. So they actually started growing cherimoya trees in, in Carpinteria about 40 or so years ago now. And... Um, just kept planting and, and selling trees to neighbors. And so Carpentria is also now one of the largest cherimoya growing regions in the country, uh, one oh. of the few. And um, so, yeah, cherimoyas were our first sort of dipping our toe in the subtropical fruit genre. Uh, and then we started growing passion fruit and guavas and, and just or there's a really great climate here in Carpentria for subtropical fruit and there goes the rooster crying um, <laughs> uh, but yeah so I, I've just grown up in this you know I was really fortunate to to grow up running around the ranch and and uh, running around with the chicken so I've, I've just been immersed in farming and agriculture my entire and as a kid I was quite sure that I didn't want to be a farmer when I grew up. Uh, it was, I, I just, there was something about it. I enjoyed my little vegetable garden, but, um, you know, my, my parents worked extremely hard and it, it just was, it always seemed like it was challenging, but, um, I, I, for whatever reason, I just didn't want to be a farmer. I didn't want to be a farmer. I always wanted to grow things, but I just didn't want to be a farmer. But, uh, and so growing up, I, I didn't study it in school and, and, uh, studied everything but it, but farming. And once I graduated, I came back here to Carpinteria and helped out, uh, my mom on her ranch a little bit and then a full season and then a full year and it all just clicked and, and came together and it made sense for, for her and for me. And, uh, I just sort of on my own, uh, my own pace and, and my own decision came back to farming and, um, seeing where it takes me from here on out. And, you know, my sisters and I also grew up doing the farmer's markets locally. So we were always part of that, uh, farm to customer relationship and, and doing the, the markets every summer from, age 14 till currently I still do the, the Santa Monica market, uh, seasonally. Mm -hmm. So that, that was always a big part of our lives of, of knowing who our customers were and getting that immediate feedback and, and seeing just how happy people were getting our, our fruit and they were enjoying what we were enjoying. And that, that was just so special because we were able to share what we thought was the greatest fruit with, other people that either didn't have that access or hadn't had that quality or had never even heard of what we were growing before. Uh, so that, that's just been ingrained with me, uh, my whole life. It's so interesting how the farm just kind of drew you back 
in a very organic way. And um, what did you study when you went to school? Uh, so I went to Colorado and I studied, I changed my major about five times, <laughs> but uh, I ended up uh, sticking with a degree in sociology and film studies and a minor in, in geology. Oh, wow. So do any of the above uh, help you out with farming any in any particular way? Not directly, but... Uh, you know, I, I appreciated that experience and I appreciated that my parents didn't put too much pressure on me to study farming. And I'm, I'm quite certain that had I gone to, to ag school or studied farming, it probably would have zapped my interest for it just mm -hmm. because I had grown up doing it. And if I had to read textbooks about farming, granted, it probably would have been very helpful, but uh, I think it would have taken away some of the passion and the the charm of figuring it out. I mean, so much of farming is trial and error. And even if you do everything by the book, there's so much that is out of your control that that can send it all spiraling down. So uh, I, I think not having that textbook perfect example of this is what farming is, because that that doesn't exist. Each farm is completely unique, um, and and there's just so many variables. So, the fact that I was able to study so many different things and and just whatever caught my interest, I pursued. I think in a way that helped me be more flexible and just um, yeah, just helped me be more flexible when I did eventually come back to farming. Yeah, it's always interesting what happens when you decide to make something your job. Part of the joy does kind of go away from it. And mm. I can I can totally see how studying ag would have or could have done that. But, and you've been learning all your life and you've had the best resources. So that's the best education, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it helped. You know, my dad had generations of farming background and my mom had a, a really good uh, business and, and just organizational background. So pulling from both of their strengths uh, and, and then being able to help the other with uh, the parts that they weren't necessarily quite as strong. And because my sisters and I all had that sales and farmer's market upbringing, that's something that neither of my parents necessarily have, which uh, worked out perfectly because they they had this sort of gap in their strengths that I've grown up with and developed over, over uh, almost two decades now. So that was the perfect fit for me of having a little bit of both, but then being able to use the the product of all of our efforts to then, you know, sell it and, and get it out to, to people all over the country. Yeah. I love seeing when, you know, I've, I've had the chance to meet other farmers and I love seeing when their kids grow up, they go study something else maybe, or maybe still stay in ag, but when they come back, each one lends their own talents to the farm. And it's really cool how they make it just even better. So that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that it's, it's worked out for the most part so far. So for those who don't know, um, Carpentaria, I don't think I ever say that right. How do you say it again? Carpentaria. Carpentria. Car okay. Carpentaria. Uh, Carpentaria. 
It's located kind of on the border of Santa Barbara, Ventura. Could you it's, describe it a little bit for people who aren't familiar with the area? Because it's a very pretty place. Sure. Yeah, it's right on the county line in between Santa Barbara and Ventura. So it's about a, an hour and a half north of Los Angeles, maybe about six hours south of San Francisco. So it's, it's right on the coast. Uh, it has not that much flatland, but it, um, it's just this perfect little microclimate where it's never really too hot. It's never really too cold. We don't really get frost here, so that allows us to grow the subtropical plants that normally would would perish if there were frosts. Uh, and we're we're because we're so close to the ocean, we don't get those inland temperature spikes. So it's it's very rare that it gets above 100 degrees here. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, some areas of the soil are quite fertile, but uh, the ranch that my parents have every single soil type you could possibly imagine so there's there's a lot of challenges that come with that and we have to find which crop will grow best in which type of soil and uh, we have to do a lot of soil building through cover crops mulching um, just and, and anything we can to try and uh, improve the soil health in in some of the the naturally weaker areas and uh, so, yeah, it, it's that's a whole other set of fun challenges that we get to be creative and and try and maximize the the space and and improve the the soil health and just grow the the best stuff we possibly can. I can't even imagine. Um, it's just one. I know when I just grow like a pot of tomatoes, that's just one type of soil I can't imagine having to manage how many acres do you guys have and what kinds of fruit and produce do you do you grow so uh, my mom and dad collectively have they bought the property together um, and and now have separate ranches but it's collectively just about 600 acres but of that 600 you know it's it's a, a mountain so there's a lot of canyons and gullies and so of that 600, they maybe each have about 100 acres that is planted between the two of them. Uh, and our main crops in terms of acres are avocados and cherimoyas. But the passion fruit is uh, creeping up. There, we're, we've done a couple more plantings. So we have, we have a, a nice planting of passion fruit, uh, pineapple guavas, lemon guavas, the dragon fruit is our newest crop, so that's it's a growing a growing field there, and then um, kind of just a little personal orchard of apples and stone fruit. And if we if we have a, a good crop, then we're happy to to share that. But uh, that's that's not our specialty. Wow. So all, a lot of my favorite fruits, cause subtropical, I just love tropical fruits. I think it's in my genes. <laughs> um, so what are the specific challenges? I'm guessing, of course, water is one of them. We're in the middle of a drought. How do you guys handle the water situation and irrigation? It's always uh, a struggle. You know, this year, I think we've had four inches of rain total and, I mean, our average is on a good year, usually around 20 inches. So like, we're just, 
so far away from from a healthy water year. Uh, so it's it's difficult. It'll stress out the plants, and if the plants are stressed, that means that they uh, can't produce as much. The um, and oddly though, especially with the cherimoyas, and and actually in a way, most fruit to a certain degree, they like that stress and that actually improves their flavor. It might not be the largest fruit by any means, but it will be a very concentrated flavor. But there is a line where they can be too stressed and the the trees or the vines will actually uh, shed fruit prematurely just because it, it the plant is using all of its resources just to stay alive instead of, of uh, producing too much fruit or, or any fruit sometimes. So uh, the avocados do not like to be dry, but they do have um, sort of a fail-safe that if we're in a, a particularly bad rain year, if the trees are stretched out and we have no more water allocation, you can actually cut an avocado tree down back to a stump huh. and you don't need to irrigate it for up to two years. It can just have the, the natural irrigation because you've cut the whole canopy down. So mm-hmm. it just uh, will sort of use its re- reserves in the soil. And eventually when it does get enough water and nutrients again, it will flush out and, and regrow. So sometimes uh, we, we actually stumped a lot of our older orchards about five years ago. We did that mainly because the canopies were too large. They were 30 plus year old trees and, and it takes a lot longer to pick. It's uh, less safe to go up mm-hmm. a 15 foot ladder and then use a 15 foot pole to, to pick the fruit. So for a number of reasons, we, stumped most of our avocado orchards and uh so now they're and it it saved a lot of water uh so that was a a added bonus i guess Mm -hmm. Uh, but you lose crop production for about two years when you do that so it's either try and squeeze by and and get a couple of fruit out of it or cut your losses and save the orchard for future future harvest by stumping them uh, the cherimoyas, in theory, you could do that, but it would, um, it wouldn't be a great idea. I think they can just sort of power through and and get through a drought. Um, the passion fruit require very little water, actually, so that's that's nice. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a half hour or so a week with a little dripper irrigation, so they're not water intensive at all. The dragon fruit is essentially a cactus, so it's it's not water intensive. Same with the pineapple guavas, but for all of these crops, they'll still survive, but they do need water in order to produce fruit. So uh, we can we can get through a drought, but it would be a, a very slow and low harvest year. Interesting. I I did not know about the stumping of the trees, but that makes complete sense. So it takes about two years before the avocados can start producing again. If you're able to turn the water back on or you get yeah. rainfall, yes, it, it's huh. they'll they'll bud out with new growth within six months usually. Huh. But uh, before you get any kind of crop, it's about two years of healthy amounts of water and and nutrients before it can have 
a crop again. Wow. Okay. So sometimes I see that you use the hashtag no frills fruit, which I think is so fun and very <laughs> smart, but can you describe what you mean by that? Yeah. So I kind of stumbled upon that and I was talking with a friend because they're, I, I, with quarantine, I um, have started to offer uh, shipped boxes directly to customers' doors of freshly picked fruit. And uh, I, I'm by no means the first person to do this or the first company to do this. But uh, from what I've seen, a lot of these boxes, when when customers post their unboxing video, they're always so excited. But the first action that they do is they pick up a handful of a bunch of stuff that is put in the box, whether it's, it's uh, you know, recipe cards or or uh, flyers. It, there's always just a bunch of stuff in there. And the first action usually in these videos is they just grab the handful and just sort of toss it to the side. <laughs> and If not into the recycling bin. <laughs> yeah, straight into the recycling, hopefully, and, and not the trash. But um, it just seemed like there was all this extra frill. So I was just talking with a friend and it just kind of came to me of, you know, I want to do this, but no frills, good fruit. And, and that's what people are getting. That's what they're excited for anyway. So I, I really wanted Rincon Tropics, the, the business that I'm starting to focus on the fruit, because at the, at the end of the day, that's, that's what people are, are into. And, you know, if, if people want to get recipes rather than printing it out and, and uh, whether just have it on the website, have it on social media where it doesn't cost it. There's no waste. There's no, it's just right there and they can share it and they can go to it anytime they want. So I wanted to just really, uh, and it's the same with our farmer's market booth. We put the, the fruit is the focus. Yes. You know, there's not a lot of frills on the table. It's people are coming for the fruit. They know the fruit. That's the star. So I want to just put the fruit forward and all the extra stuff. It's it's nice and pretty, but um, that's that's just not what I'm about. Can I just personally thank you? Because I do know when I receive boxes, my recycling bin gets very full of all the fluff. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. when I opened the box of passion fruit, the first thing that hit me was the aroma. And that excited me more than anything. I don't need a <laughs> postcard to remind me what the hashtag is or or any of that. Um, so I think that's a great idea. Plus, I also think that it it kind of reflects your approach to farming. I mean, my understanding is that you don't spray um, pesticides or coatings. I don't even know what the term is, but... That's correct. Yeah, we're not certified organic, but we don't spray any pesticides, organic or otherwise. Uh, we don't put any wax coating on the fruit. We, you know, growing up, like I said earlier, I would just be wandering the orchard. And if there was a fruit that I saw that was ripe, I'd pick it, rub it on my shirt a little bit, and then I'd eat it. And I never had to wonder or worry you know, what's on this, you know, am I eating something that I shouldn't eat? And, uh, you know, nothing against the, the organic movement or and, and any of that stuff. Everyone just does what works for them. And I, I respect that, but you know, an organic pesticide is still 
toxic and you don't want to eat that. And uh, so we just would rather take the loss for getting some fruit that is damaged by insects sometimes, or uh, it's just not worth it to us to put extra stuff out because then you have to somehow try and get that stuff off before you eat the fruit. And uh, that, that just seems counterintuitive to me. So will every single piece of our produce be the most beautiful? No, but no one's ever is, whether you spray or not. Uh, so we'd rather just not and uh, have fruit with a little bit more character and the best possible flavor you, you can have. And one of the things I discovered was, uh, you know, we take it for granted in California that you can get fresh citrus here. But in most other parts of the country, all citrus is covered with a waxy coating to help preserve it for as long as possible in the grocery yes. store, which from a, a, you know, I get why that's done. It, it makes sense to try and reduce food waste. But that also means that anytime someone is zesting a lemon or using a peel of something in their food and then cooking they're also putting some other stuff in there. And uh, that was one of the surprise items that I found was people were thrilled to have a non-waxed lemon sometimes for the first time and just going, oh my gosh, that's, that's what it is. That's what it's supposed to taste like. That's what it's supposed to look like. And, uh, you know, I, I just took that for granted, but it's been really revealing to discover that uh, a huge portion of the population in the U.S. just it, it, either geographically or whatever, they aren't able to have access to fresh fruit that I grew or helped grow, I picked, I packed, and then the next person that sees it is the customer. Yeah. So I'm just trying to do the farmer's market experience, uh, you know, nationwide so people can have unrefrigerated unsprayed unwaxed fruit and taste what what this thing is supposed to actually taste like Mm -hmm. you brought back so many weird memories i grew up on on the east coast Mm -hmm. and i remember being at lunch with an orange and i would like what i would do is i would use my fingernail and I would literally like scratch the wax off until I was left with some shavings on the on the <laughs> table. <laughs> and I thought that was normal. <laughs> yeah. Clearly oh, not. Yeah. It's same with apples, you know, yes. our apples are unwaxed. And the, the first thing, uh, you know, I, I don't eat apples unless our apples are in season and I love apples, so it's 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 a shame. But you know that's also the beauty of seasonal fruit, is you get it when it's at its peak. And and our apples aren't sitting in a refrigerator for nine months, so that you can have them year round. And then you gotta you know scrape off all the wax. Uh, you don't have to, but you know I don't want to be eating that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's just so many people that don't know any different. And <laughs> yeah. and so. Uh, I, I just am part of my goal is, is to help educate and, and um, just let people know that there are good experiences out there for some of these fruits. And if you just give this a try and, and uh, it's, it's as close to farm to kitchen table as you can get. 
I love that you're providing that service. Okay, so I have to ask you, I have so many questions, but I know you're <laughs> busy. Um, what is your favorite way to use avocados or what's an unusual way to use an avocado? I am very unoriginal with my avocado use, except for the fact that I put it on almost everything. Uh, you know, when avocados aren't in season, my entire family is noticeably grumpier just because <laughs> it's such a staple of our diet. And, and we're very fortunate to, to have that access to avocados, uh, and, you know, one, my oldest sister moved back east and, and she just said, you know, just send me boxes of fresh fruit and we're good. You know, that's they, she and her family love to come back and visit, of course. But uh, that's she's, you know, my my most regular customer, <laughs> you could say, just because I, I send her boxes of whatever's in season. And so my nieces have grown up with California avocados and passion fruit and so they also, even though they're they're on the East Coast, they're able to get this stuff. And then it's so great when they come and visit because they run out into the orchard and they know exactly what they're doing and how to pick it and eat it. And we've we've gone to their their classrooms and talked about farming to their classes just to help educate the next generation. But uh, back to your question about avocados. I usually have at least a half an avocado with almost every meal. Just, you know, next to eggs, uh, part of the sandwich. And what I found out from a, an old housemate of mine is uh, one of the unconventional ways that I use avocados is I actually like to put avocados on top of spaghetti. <laughs> so oh, I'll make wow. like a, a spaghetti with a tomato sauce or a, a, a ragu or something like that. And just some diced avocado on top that tomato vegetable sauce mixed with the the noodles it actually is it works really well and i like it a lot i, I wait till the sauce is cooled off a little bit just because i don't like hot avocados but, <laughs> um, and and to that point i think grilled avocados are the absolute craziest thing that has happened in the culinary <laughs> world i I don't get it. I've had it before and I, I just can't get behind it. But uh, some people like it. It's just not for me. Yeah, I'm not quite a fan. I'll still eat it, but I don't think it's my first choice to enjoy an avocado. But I'm definitely going to try the avocados on this on spaghetti. That sounds so interesting. And I guess it makes it more yeah. creamy, too. More creamy, um, even on some mac and cheese. It's just an extra uh, flavor added, an extra texture um some added protein it's it just helps round out any meal that i'm that i'm having so uh like i said when it's not avocado season it's it's tough <laughs> it's very tough i bet i have an avocado for lunch every day in some way shape or form and when i run out it's like oh god <laughs> <laughs> what is your best tip for people when they're purchasing an avocado like what should they look for because i know that can be a little tricky my advice would be to buy a firm avocado and i i should preface this with saying i've never purchased a grocery store avocado i i why would you <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I don't say that to be like, I'm above it or anything. It's just, you know, jokingly, I'd probably be disowned. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just, 
it's that seasonal fruit thing. If it's not in season, I, I won't buy it. Except for when I was in Colorado for college, I just never had any reason to buy an avocado because my parents would ship me boxes of avocados. So that was always just the best day to get the, the fruit delivery day. And then all of a sudden, all my neighbors also caught on and they knew that, you know, there's going to be a guacamole party or something. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say my best tips for avocado buying in the grocery store, if you can't get them fresh, is to get a firm avocado that doesn't have the ripe sticker on it because what happens with the uh, commercially sold avocados is they put the whole box in some sort of contraption and they do this with bananas as well and they put ethylene gas in the fruit box to help ripen it so that everything is uh, bananas and tomatoes. They do this as well. The ethylene gas is naturally um, released by fruit and it, it's just part of the ripening process. That's why sometimes you hear the tip of to ripen an avocado, you put a banana or mm -hmm. an apple in a brown paper bag. So those fruits release ethylene gas naturally. And if it's in that paper bag, it helps absorb the moisture, but it just sort of, um, Cooks is a strong word, but it just speeds up the ripening process. But in the grocery store, in order to have a large supply of quote-unquote ripe fruit, they uh, pump the fruit with ethylene gas to ripen them up. But from my experience, every once in a while, just out of curiosity, I'll, I'll check out the avocado aisle or display to, to see where it's from, what condition it's in, is it actually ripe or does it just have a ripe sticker and it's still rock hard? Hmm. Uh, but uh, my, my advice would be to try and avoid that ripe sticker and get a firm avocado and then just give it the time that it naturally needs. Just let it sit on your counter and wait till it gets just a little bit soft, not squishy. I do not recommend overly squishy avocados. Some people like it, but um, it's, it's not for me and just try and do it, you know, the natural old fashioned way, if possible, I, I realize that most people are usually in a pinch and they need an avocado that day. So they see that ripe sticker and they'll still, you know, saw into that rock hard avocado because, you know, the sticker says it's ripe, so it's gotta be ripe. But, uh, I, I think a lot of people have been burned by that. And um, they they just think that that's how avocados are supposed to be, and it's it's just not, unfortunately. Yeah, so definitely look for the harder, greener avocados. Just give it some time on the counter, and then it'll darken mm -hmm. and soften. Yep. It'll darken. It'll get a little bit softer. Uh, I will say though that. If you're buying a California avocado, the season technically starts early in the year, but uh, right now we're in the prime of our season. So an avocado needs to be on the tree for a minimum of nine months before it's harvested. But if you eat a nine-month-old avocado, it'll still be an avocado, obviously, but the longer you leave it on the tree, the better the flavor is, the better the consistency and the, the creaminess and the texture so uh, right now, the fruit has been on the tree about, uh, let's say, around 
12 to 14 months. And so they're extremely creamy, really flavorful. Uh, these are going to be the best avocados. So if you have to buy an avocado and it's January, February, most likely you're getting the youngest version of the crop. And so that'll probably take a little bit longer to ripen. And it won't quite have that true creamy avocado flavor of an avocado in the early summer months, midsummer months. That's such a good point. I have noticed the difference in flavor. I feel like the ones that you get earlier in the season or even winter, <laughs> if I'm mm -hmm. going to say, is like watery. It's yeah. um, bland. It's not as stringy green. sometimes. Yes. The, the fibers uh, kind of noticeable. And, and it depends on the variety, but Hass is the most grown variety in, in the U.S. and I think worldwide too. Mm. Um, if you if the avocado is green, but it's like lime green, and you can kind of see your reflection in it, it's so shiny and it's super bumpy on the outside. That's more of a young crop. But as the fruit matures on the tree, the longer it's been on the tree, the fruit, again, depending on the variety, will sort of smooth out and the bumps will sort of uh, fill in so it'll be a smoother skinned fruit and the skin will start to get a little darker and a little bit more dull because the a maturing avocado still on the tree will naturally, at least the Hass variety again, will naturally start to get a little bit darker. So for example, if, if anyone is getting one of the Rincon Tropics avocado boxes right now, when they open the box, they'll see a darker green, if not a partially black avocado in the box on the outside. And that doesn't mean that it's ripe. It's the ripeness is always by the softness, regardless of the variety. So mm -hmm. just because an avocado might have a dark skin does not mean that it's ripe yet. That's just naturally what happens with the more mature fruit. Ah, I see. But that's going to be a really good sign that that's going to be a more flavorful avocado than one that was picked in January which is generally why we don't start our harvest until March or April, just because if, if we don't think the fruit is up to par, we're not going to harvest it because we want everyone to have the best experience that, that we're enjoying. So we, we really, you know, even if, if the market is saying now's the time to pick, uh, we'd rather have a better flavor and and eating experience than just chasing the dollar well i appreciate that and i wish i could talk to you forever because i have so many more questions <laughs> but i know you're busy um where can people find your produce and how can they order a box for themselves so uh starting in august we will be back seasonally at the farmer's market in santa monica and that's usually on Wednesdays, sometimes Saturdays. And I'm very excited because I've been working on uh, developing the website and the online store at rincontropics.com. That's R-I-N-C-O-N-T-R-O-P-I-C-S.com. So that is going to be coming out probably in July. And the passion fruit will be returning in August. So that's, that's our most popular item for sure. Um, and all of our socials are at Rincon Tropics. So if you want to order some avocados, uh, you can send us a direct message over Instagram at Rincon Tropics. Awesome. And are you the one who's handling all of the picking and packing and shipping? I am. Yes. Oh it's, my goodness. 
it's been uh, very, very exciting. And I actually was not planning on, on doing this, but uh, it, it showed up and, and people kept finding us and it just uh, made sense to see where this goes. So yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I'm, I'm the one that's doing all the customer service and interaction. So it's, it's been great to meet so many people from all over the country and seeing this, this sort of mushrooming effect of uh, a cluster of, of people in Oklahoma that have found us and share a box with their family and neighbors. And now one in, in New Mexico, and it's, it's just popping up all over the country, uh, except Alaska and Hawaii. I can't ship there. Uh, sorry, sorry, folks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in the other forty-eight states, there's now been orders in all forty-eight states, and it's it's just so exciting because, you know, so many of of these uh, customers are finally able to get this fruit that that just doesn't exist where they are. So I'm I'm so grateful to be able to to offer that. You are the modern farmers market, which is <laughs> awesome. I mean, and how, yeah, I just, I can't imagine the amount of work that farming is hard enough, but you're, you're handling a lot. Okay. I just have some quick closing questions if you don't mind. So what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook? What's your emergency go-to meal? Emergency go-to meal is, uh, an avocado, just slice it up. (laughs) Avocados and chips are almost every day. I have some version of avocados and chips. Definitely. I love it. What's the one trust, uh, recipe that you treasure the most? Ooh, um, my grandma on my dad's side had this ultra secret recipe that we found out uh, after she passed wasn't actually so secret. It was oh. a cherimoya passion fruit sorbet mm. that is out of this world with a little bit of orange zest and some lime juice mixed in. And uh, it I, I didn't like cherimoyas as a kid because of the texture. It's sort of a soft custardy texture. And it I, I was a very picky eater as a kid. I did not eat passion fruit as a kid. I barely ate avocados. My parents were just pulling their hair out, wondering what they'd <laughs> done wrong. Uh, but now I love and eat all those things. But uh, my grandma's passion fruit cherimoya sorbet was the one way that I would eat cherimoyas. And she would make it just for special occasions. And it was just this tropical perfection and on a, a hot day you know i i would just eat the whole thing it was so good that sounds so so good okay are you a messy cook or a neat cook i true i'm messy but i clean as i make the mess so i i don't just destroy the kitchen and then do the cleanup it it really bugs me so I, i've gotta i i stay on top of the mess for the most part that's good. I try to do that. <laughs> Emphasis <laughs> on try. Uh, what's a good kitchen tip? Ooh, um, a good kitchen tip for me is making sure all of the bowls and measuring utensils that I'm going to need for the whole cooking process are out on the counter before I get started. Because I've been caught so many times with either like eggy hands or uh, raw meat hands that I then have to do a full a full cleanup in order to dive into the cupboard to to dig out whatever I need. So I like to make sure all the things are out and on hand before I get too messy. 
And, and that kind of helps my workflow a little bit. Otherwise I'm just, uh, washing my hands constantly, which isn't a bad thing, but you know, it, it just adds to the cooking time to be doing even more cleanups in between the food prep. Awesome tips. Okay. And if people want to follow you, what's the, where's the best place for them to follow you? Rincon Tropics on Instagram is, is our most active. Uh, we don't do too much on Facebook, but that's also Rincon Tropics. Uh, but yeah, Instagram is the best way to see us for what's in season, what the farm animals are doing around. Um, yeah, some... like your chickens climbing ladders. I was very <laughs> surprised to see that. Chickens usually don't display too much intelligence, but that seemed like a really clever way. There's just a couple loquats left in the tree, and they, they hopped all the way up there and were pecking at that last little cluster up there. So, uh, yeah, for just sort of silly farm pet videos, uh, Instagram, TikTok a little bit, but uh, Rincon Tropics on Instagram is the best place. Great. Nick, I really had so much fun talking to you. I feel I could pepper you with questions all day, but I know you've got some some animals to to tend to and, and produce to pick. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it so much. I'm so glad you were able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Nick Brown for chatting with us about life on Rincon Farms and inspiring us with some delicious avocado ideas. I know I can't wait to try avocados on my spaghetti. I hope you get a taste of Rincon Tropic's delicious fruit boxes in your own kitchen one day. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.